Hello, my name is Deacon Brian. Welcome to the Shepherd of the Hills Sermons Podcast. Every week we share our Sunday morning sermons with you to keep these important conversations going. We hope you not only enjoy hearing our words of God's love for you, but will also feel compelled to share these words with everyone who needs to hear this message. As always, we encourage you to keep the conversation going at home, at work, and everywhere you go. This week, Pastor Scott gives us an introduction on the Gospel of Mark and talks about the baptism of Jesus and Jesus cleansing a man of an evil spirit. He talks about how evil plays a role in the story and in our lives today. So sit back, relax, and let us dive into this week's sermon. Our lesson today comes from Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew, and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I get started this morning, just a number of introductory comments. Uh, First of all, we are following the narrative lectionary as we have done for a number of years. And one of the things that the narrative lectionary does is that right after Christmas, we move into reading one gospel sort of straight through. And this year we're reading the gospel of Mark. And uh, I know you've probably heard me say this before, but Mark of the four gospels is my favorite for a whole bunch of different reasons and I'm gonna outline some of them this morning. Um, But also one just little sort of anecdotal side note is that the prayer that I say at the beginning of all my sermons actually comes as a riff on uh, a prayer that my favorite professor in seminary, Don Jewell, uh, used to say every time before he would get up and lecture. And my love of the Gospel of Mark comes from Don Jewell, at least in part from being in school. So anyway, that's a little, what is that? History lesson of the little prayer that I say that's sort of unusual, but it came from him. Uh, We are reading the Gospel of Mark, and if you um, are looking for a gospel or a devotional book to read, I encourage you to read this one. It's the shortest of all of them. (laughs) So first of all, it's the easiest one to read. The second is, uh, one of the reasons that I really like the Gospel of Mark is that Mark doesn't give us almost, Mark gives us almost no um, explanation of what in the world is going on. Um, In Mark's gospel, and today's account is a good one, it just says this thing happened, and then immediately this thing happened, and then this thing happened, and then this thing happened, and and then immediately this thing happened. Um, In the gospel of Mark, Jesus is just like on a mission, and you can feel it in the way that the book is written. Um, It just goes very, very quickly. And the reason why I like that there's no explanation 
And don't get me wrong, Matthew and, and Luke are fine, and John is something else altogether. But I like Mark because if you don't, you have to stop and be like, what in the world is going on here? And Mark doesn't tell you. Mark invites you into making all of those decisions for yourself, which I just find so remarkably refreshing in so many different ways. So what I want to do is to talk a little bit about Mark's gospel in particular, then I want to make some comments about this particular passage, and then I want to make some comments about some recent news events. So I'm going to try to do that quickly. Does that sound like a lot? I think I can do it. Somebody, somebody stop me in like 10 minutes. Okay, <clears throat> so I've already covered that Mark is my favorite. It's the shortest. It's the, also the earliest. I don't know if you know this, but it's most likely most of the scholars these days believe that Mark's gospel was the first one written. Um, and for most of Christian history, Mark's gospel wasn't studied all that much. In fact, because the early church actually thought that what Mark was was sort of this strange, condens- con- con- it's strange, uh, what am I looking for? Not convoluted. Condensation. That's the word I'm looking for. Well, it's like they took Matthew and Luke and made a shorter one. What's what's the right word for that? Condensed. Condensed. That's the word I'm looking for. Condensation. That's the wrong word. Uh, Anyway, for the earliest part of the church, that's what they thought, that that Mark was actually, uh, they took Matthew and Luke and made a shorter version for some reason. Scholars these days don't think that's true. Uh, In fact, most scholars think that uh, Mark is the earliest gospel. One of the reasons that Mark's gospel got so panned in the early church is there was a bishop named Papias or Papias or Papias. I'm not exactly sure how you say his name. He was Greek, and he lived somewhere in the 60 to 100 uh, CE, so in other words, after Jesus' death. Uh, And he had some, what has traditionally been uh, described as some derogatory comments about Mark's gospel, depending on how you translate the Greek. Uh, What he said was, and this is a quote from this uh, first century bishop who was in Turkey, he said, the elder, in other words, this first century bishop believes, or he claimed that he knew some of Jesus' followers, some of Jesus' disciples. Um, And he called them the elders. And he said, the elder used to say, Mark, in his capacity as Peter's interpreter, uh, which we're not exactly sure if that's really true, but nonetheless, this is what this bishop thinks, that Mark is Peter's interpreter, wrote down accurately as many things as he recalled from memory, though not in an ordered form. (laughs) Now, depending on how you read that Greek, it could also be sort of a literary thing saying, Mark was not pretty too smart, as they say in Norwegian. (laughs) Now, there's also uh, another quote from a bishop, Irenaeus, who claims that Papias himself wasn't very smart. So, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, But anyway, so for the earliest part of Christian history, Mark actually doesn't get a whole lot of scholarship. Uh, And like, for example, Luther and Calvin, even Augustine, uh, their books are Matthew and Luke and some John, but very rarely Mark. It's only been actually in the last, my lifetime really, since I was in seminary, that Mark sort of became this gospel that started to get studied again. And here's what I think. I think Mark is a literary genius uh, for all sorts of different reasons. <clears throat> so I disagree. I think the book has an enormous amount of form and it's really cool and you should go read it. Now, some things to point out about uh, Mark. Uh, 80% of it is found in the book of Matthew. About 50% of it is found in the book of Luke. Uh, And then just in case you wonder how the Bible came to be, most scholars think these days that Matthew and Luke both had Mark as one of their sources, and then this other source called Q, or Quella. It's German, it just means source. And then Matthew and Luke each have some of their own stuff. Um, Mark has no birth account. Uh, Mark starts off uh, with John the Baptist. Boom, no birth story in in the Gospel of Mark. Nothing. 
both Matthew and Luke, of course, have some uh, stories about uh, Jesus' birth, but not Mark. Um, here's the one that really grabs me, and you should go look at your Bible. When you get home, go grab your Bible and go look at Mark chapter 16. There are three endings. One's called the shorter, one's called the longer. They're both wrong. The real uh, ending of the Gospel of Mark, at least what Mark, most scholars think these days, is chapter 16, 8. And it ends this way. The women fled the tomb, for terror and amazement had gripped them. Uh, and actually, the last word in Greek is fear, phobeomai. Um, so the gospel ends with the word, they were afraid. Um, now, there's no resurrection story in the gospel of Mark, but part of the reason why I think he's so genius is if a story like this ends with an empty tomb and women going, and the last word is they ran away because they were afraid, don't you have to stop and be like, wait, what? It, it also says at the end, they told no one. Well, wait a second, I just read the story. They must have told somebody sometime. Why did they tell them? And who did they tell? And what exactly did they tell? My sense is, is that the end of the story drives you to go back and read it again. <laughs> this is kind of genius, actually. Um, and it is enormously gripping. For someone who lives sort of in this day and age where we don't believe in an enchanted world anymore, there aren't spirits and demons wandering around. At least we don't conceptually think that. Although I might argue that we do think that at some level. Uh, having no resurrection uh, appearance is tantalizing. Because I can imagine if somebody walked out of a grave and it was empty and you saw it, what would you be? Afraid! Makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Uh, and the end of the story then also implies that somebody told somebody something, and what did they tell them and why? It just has this energy and sparkle to it, to me anyway, that the other two Gospels don't, or the other three, uh, the other two, meaning Matthew and Luke, which follow Mark's order. John is its own thing altogether, okay? Um, we don't really know anything about the author. Uh, there's claims throughout history that um, Mark was one of Peter's companions, and we get this out of the book of Acts. Um, whether or not that's true, we just don't know. Um, <clears throat> it's also not the oldest uh, book in the Bible, or the oldest book in the New Testament, I should say. Uh, most scholars believe these days that Paul's writings actually precede Mark by at least five to ten years. And so if you're looking for a time frame uh, for Mark's gospel, it's probably in the 55 to 60 uh, category. Uh, and the reason scholars think that is that the temple gets destroyed in 70, and Mark doesn't seem to know that, whereas Matthew and Luke do. Okay, is that enough? You like? Okay, good, great. Enough? Good. All right, um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, one of the things that Mark does that's really also unusual is that Mark is the, the genre of the story, so to speak, uh, is unprecedented in history. Uh, the four Gospels are a unique genre in history, meaning that Mark's story looks a little bit like Hellenistic biographies of other famous heroes and things, but it really actually breaks the mold in that regard. And the way we get the word gospel is from the beginning of the book of Mark, the good news, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, euangelia, good news, good announcing, good angels, right, all this. Um, and it's, uh, so it doesn't fit any mold. Okay, 
That's the other reason why I think Marx is a genius. Okay, maybe he wasn't, but that's what I think. Um, what are some of the things that happen in the gospel, other things that happen in the gospel of Mark that I just find uh, fascinating just to start with? There's this enormous sense of urgency. You really should go home and read it. I think you'll find it actually quite gripping. One of my favorite parts at the beginning, I don't know, uh, Brian, did we talk about the baptism last weekend? One, one of the things that happens in the gospel of Mark is that everything is very dramatic uh, and just sort of electric. Um, when Jesus is baptized, uh, just a few verses ahead of this, it's not that the heavens just sort of opened and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. Uh, the word is actually schizo, which comes, it's, it's the same root as schizophrenic. Um, it means rending, torn, ripped, violently opened. The implication is that somehow that the very fabric between us and God is sort of being torn apart and God is coming at you and coming into the world. It has this sort of driving force that God is coming and you will not escape God's coming. I find that to be just amazing storytelling, that God is somehow after us, after the world, out to get it. Um, and one of the ways that we might look at this is in this uh, very story that we start with here this morning. Um, if, just pull up your, um, just grab your bulletin and look at this story. So this is actually Jesus' very first um, encounter. Um, and what's interesting about it is it's very confrontational, right out of the chute. You can picture it being in a synagogue or a church just like this. And what happens is in, the, in that holy place, something that is unholy walks in and starts yelling at Jesus. Can you imagine the disruption? This is not like some quiet thing where we're all just sitting here sort of nicely and then somebody starts screaming and these demons start screaming at Jesus. What do they scream at him? We know who you are. That's weird. Why is it that the evil character in the story knows who Jesus is, who's the good guy in the story? It's interesting to me that it won't be until the very end of the gospel that any human being will actually recognize who Jesus is and it'll come at his trial and it'll be a very ironic and cutting statement. It's the evil, it's those who are possessed who recognize who Jesus is in the whole story. Now, at first glance, that might seem sort of weird, right? <clears throat> and I think it is kind of weird. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the other reason I like the Gospel of Mark, the disciples don't get it. <laughs> they just don't get it. Even the women at the end, who in the other um, story may have some more positive sort of um, look, in the Gospel of Mark, nobody gets it. Nobody gets it. Do you, I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> that's very comforting. <laughs> um, if those who were hanging around Jesus didn't get it until after he was dead and resurrected, well, yeah. <laughs> Like, I've read this story a million times and I'm still not sure that I get it, get it? But it, maybe the better way of looking at it is whether or not the story got you, which actually is, again, what I might argue is why Jesus is coming to get us. It might be less about us getting it and more about Jesus getting us. But nonetheless, the interesting thing, the demons are the ones who recognize him. I know who you are! Now, is, the interesting part about that is as readers, we know who they are. We're watching. We're like outside of this thing um, watching, but I watched, I went to Star Wars the other day. Did anybody see any of the Star Wars movies? Who hasn't seen any of the Star Wars movies? What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Jesus, please. <clears throat> um, have you ever noticed that in Star Wars, it's the bad guys who know who the good guys are? What, why is that? I don't know the answer. It's Darth Vader who has to tell Luke who he is. 
It's the same way in the last one. I just noticed it. I went and saw it the second time, and it just dawned on me that it's the bad guy who tells the good guy who they really are. What is that? Um, I don't, I don't, maybe you have an answer. I don't have an answer other than to tell you that um, one of the things that I've noticed in the world is that in order to see all of the goodness, sometimes it takes the ugliness to see what it really is. One of the things that we might argue is to see the beauty of God's creation is to only see the ugliness of humanity in the, in, in the act of the cross. I don't know why that is, and I don't know why this happens, but sometimes it is that the most horrible experiences of our entire life often become the thing that not only define us, but we define ourselves against what they are. Sometimes that can be cancer, sometimes that can be somebody's death, sometimes that can be something that happens to us. I don't know why that is, but the juxtaposition of the beauty of life versus the ugliness of life oftentimes reveals where we're looking and who we are. I don't know why that is, but I seem to think that's happened. Now, maybe you have a better explanation for why it is that the demons are the ones who see who Jesus is, but nonetheless, he does. Um, <clears throat> they do. Um, so, uh, the other thing that I think that we, it's helpful to pause and think about, because we are not demon-haunted people, as a general rule, we are science people, and so lots of times people read these stories and they think, oh, this person had mental illness or whatever, and uh, Jesus sort of comes to town and uh, kicks out that mental illness. I, again, I don't have an explanation for how this works. All I can tell you is from my own personal reading that when love and hope and compassion and care and healing comes to town, death often flees. I don't know why that is, and it doesn't always happen on a rational way, but I can tell you that there's more going on, I think, in the world than meets the eye. If that wasn't the case, why in the world would we look at the beautiful art that our kids made for us and not have some sense of God's love and compassion and presence? If all that's happening is your eyes seeing color, then why does that happen? I think there's more going on in the world than meets the eye. And when Jesus comes to town, people get healed, and they get love, and they get compassion. Um, maybe you have another explanation for that. Um, and one of the interesting things in our story for today is even though the demons are the ones that see Jesus and they're the ones that know who they, he is, I think they ask a really interesting question. <laughs> they not only look at Jesus and they say, I know who you are, but then they ask what? What do they ask him? Just, you can cheat. It's an open book test today. Um, what do they ask him? Have you come to destroy us? What do you make? That is, is that a weird question? I think that's a weird question. And the thing that I like about Mark is he doesn't answer the question. <laughs> Neither does Jesus. Uh, now, the demons get thrown out, but it made me think of another story later in Mark that I also think is one of the weirdest stories in Mark. Um, and the reason I think it's the weirdest is because I remember when I was a kid, my mom thought it was one of the weirdest. Um, I remember sitting in church, um, and it's the story where Jesus confronts the demoniac, and then the demons get thrown into the pigs, and then the pigs go off and drown themselves in the water. It is a weird story. Um, but I never thought about this before. Jesus doesn't destroy the evil. Jesus casts it out, but it implies that it goes someplace. And the thing that I think about this is that I think, I think God somehow isn't out even to destroy evil itself, but redeem it. And there's a big difference. Um, 
And I'm going to just try to put this in context for a second, and it's going to be hard, but it, this is what this caused me to think about. Um, I think the cross is an invitation, even for evil itself, to turn around and repent and become something else. And that even in our own lives, sometimes the evilest things play the most important and um, reorienting roles. I don't know why that is, right? Um, and in some ways, uh, I find that strange. And so here's one of the things that I've been thinking about this week. Um, and I, I, I apologize for doing this all the time, but I can't help it. Uh, Chuck Schumer got up after um, Kaysan Soleimani was killed. And I heard it on the radio, and it just caught my attention so hard. He said, no one, I want to get this right, no one will shed a tear for Soleimani's death. Really? That's, that's our response? Soleimani has four children. He has two daughters and two sons. He has five sisters and a brother. His father was a farmer who died in 2017. There are people in the world who have shed a tear because this man died. Now, I don't want to tell you that he was good or evil or that he deserved to die or not, but if we become so callous that we simply determine that those who are against us are evil and our enemies and we must destroy them, we have misread the story of Jesus. I make the argument that Jesus has not come to destroy the evil, but redeem it. When anyone dies, someone will shed a tear. I believe God will shed a tear. If we have a response to evil in the world, it should be this. We will weep for all who die. We will weep for our inability as human beings to enact God's kingdom into the world where everyone is loved and has a safe place to live and has food to eat and feels safe and secure in who they are and where they live. And instead, we will pray for all of those who seek to harm us that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for stopping by and listening to the Shepherd of the Hills Sermons podcast. For more information about Shepherd of the Hills, please check out sothchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Feel free to share this sermon and be sure to follow us on social media and wherever you find your podcast. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thank you.